love coach. Let's find out if you're ready for love. Here's your marvelous host, Nikki Lee. Hello, and welcome to Ready for Love Radio. This is your host of Love Coach, Nikki Lee. Now, last week, we had kind of a deep conversation, more serious than usual, and we were talking to Tanya Diamond about the fact that sometimes in this field, there are practitioners who overstep the bounds and exceed the boundaries and act inappropriately and may abuse their clients in various ways. And we also talked about male rape, which I've been wanting to cover that for quite a while. And during the part about practitioners, we also talked about codes of ethics and how uh, practitioners should have a code of ethics. And I got to thinking about it right after the show finished up. And I said, you know, it would really be a good follow-up to talk about code of ethics in more detail just to make sure the listeners understand what it is, how it works for them. And so I said, you know what? I know the perfect person to bring on with me that has worked extensively with code of ethics and putting those together. And people who have listened to me very often are going to know this person well because he's been on with me many times in the past. And I'm very happy to to have my friend Paul Bag back with me. Paul, awesome to have you with me. Thank you. It's always great to be here with you. It's been way too long since you were here last, but it's awesome to have you back. Yeah, thank you. Happy to be here. And and you are Mr. Code of Ethics, so you're the one I had to have on with me tonight. <laughs> well, that makes perfect sense to me. So, I mean, quick quick little bio for people that, that I, I, I can't imagine, but people that may not know you. Paul Tantra Viking Bag is a sex and intimacy coach for the last 25 plus years. He's a sexual energy healer and author of, now you're going to see why I invited him, the Tantra Vikings Code of Ethics for Sexual Energy Workers. So now now why would I say that you are Mr. Code of Ethics? Well, I wrote this Code of Ethics not just for me. I wrote it for basically everybody who does this type of work. I, I'm writing my own code of ethics so, so you know everybody could see it. They know what I stand for, know where my values are at. That was part of it. But I also wanted to put something together that other people could use as well because when I first started this whole um, journey of, of sexual energy and doing sexual energy work, it, I found that the women who were coming to me had already been abused by other practitioners. For some reason, I was getting these people. And I was like, okay, nobody's adhering to a code of ethics or, or, you know, nobody is doing what they're supposed to be doing as far as helping these people and keeping them safe. So I wrote this so, so that, you know, other people could use it as well. Wow, that's, that's just, that's sad. You know, it, it seems to me, and maybe, maybe I'm being Pollyannish about this, but the most important part of our job as coaches or you know, energy workers or, or whatever we're doing in this field is, I mean, we're, we're dealing with people on the most personal, intimate level possible. You know, whether it's the work that you're doing hands-on or whether it's the work I'm doing discussing their, their personal, intimate life with them, 
and they're they're trusting us with their innermost thoughts and and their body and this kind of thing and i i can't fathom violating that trust and vulnerability i i i can't imagine doing that to somebody you know and in the stories i've heard in the last few weeks I'm I'm disgusted and horrified with the things I've heard. That's that's the reason I'm doing these these couple shows back to back. I, I just yeah. I, I couldn't not do this. You know, there there are times when I do a show, and it's just it's something I just I have to do. You know, it's it's one of those. You know, if I can help one person not have to deal with this kind of situation, the show's got to be done. Kind of situation at this point. Right, yeah. you're compelled oh. to do it. Yeah. Exactly. I, I've I've seen comments from people. I've heard stories from people, and it's like all of a sudden, I'm seeing more and more posts on Facebook from people about this kind of thing. All of a sudden, and I just I I can't believe some of the things that I'm seeing people say about this topic. Yeah, I'm just well, I'm floored. It, it really all started uh, a while back with the Me Too movement. Well, when that became a part of this industry. Um, it, yeah, things were being exposed. People were being exposed for um, the behavior that goes on in the industry as far as like um, what practitioners do to abuse clients. And, and I even read some stories about in, in schools where there, um, the abuse is rampant there as well. So, I mean, it, it starts at the very top level and it's all the way down to the roots as well. Yeah, I didn't mention that last week about... There's several schools that just consistently the people they're turning out have issues. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, essentially, it's, I mean, okay. In most states, this, this kind of work is illegal. If you touch somebody's genitals and you get paid money, you don't have an MD after your name. Technically, it's prostitution. So right. there is no, no governing body. There is no, no board of ethics. There's no... Nobody checking in on people to see how you know how they're running their business, and there's nobody to report this stuff to, as far as like an agency other than a police, and then you know that just causes causes um, usually it, it ends up causing a little bit more grief for the person doing the reporting. I mean, if there's like an oversight board or something, that's one thing. Once you go to the police, that's something totally different altogether. But there is no oversight board for these type for any sexual energy work for tantra practitioners for anybody in anything to do with sexual energy. Right. The huge part of the problem is you can't put anything together, some type of an oversight board or anything like that, if the industry itself is you know working outside of the law. Nobody right. wants to get involved in it. Right. Well, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. That's it. It's such a shame because the sexual energy field just fascinates me to absolutely no end. It really does. I've had quite a few people on here, and we've talked about it, and and the work and the good it can be, it can do, and especially for people that are trying to heal from trauma. Oh wow! It just, I mean, the the things I've heard from people as far as successes and and what's been done, it, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing what's been done. Well, that's what makes these reports of this abuse even more heinous. Because, yeah. you know, because this is such a fringe type of healing modality and because there is a certain amount of risk with the law going on there too, you know, 
oftentimes these people have tried everything else on the planet to heal. And this is a last-ditch effort to go to somebody like this, and then you're, you're bearing your soul to them. You are putting yourself in the most vulnerable position you can. Um, it, especially, let's just say, for instance, you're going to a male practitioner and you're trying to get past sexual trauma that happened to you earlier in your life that was caused by a male. So you're going to another male and trusting him with absolutely everything. And then that person's going to turn around and violate you? That's disgusting. Right. I, I completely agree. Do you think one of the things in the beginning is when a person goes into this, and this, this is more on the practitioner level, but the person's got to look at their motives for getting into this field? Oh, yeah. There is a, a huge amount of uh, self-analysis that needs to go in to deciding whether or not you're ready for this type of work, decide what your, um, your actual scope of practice is going to be, and where your boundaries are. I mean, if you're somebody who's coming from sexual wounding and you haven't worked through it, then you really don't have any right to be out there and working with people who are placing them so much trust in you and making themselves so vulnerable. There's, there's too many things in the human psyche that can go on that, yeah, it's not a good scenario. The, the practitioner has to be in the right place for their client, and that's body, mind, and soul. They, they have to be there 100%. Well, and I mean, even even from the things you and I have talked about, you know, if if a person is working with you and they're they're working through trauma, and and there's a trigger, and they're they're dealing with trauma, and and you know you, you reach them on such a deep level, they need you to be 100% present with them, and if the practitioner happens to be tr triggered at the same time, I can't even imagine what would happen. I mean, because. But the practitioner just seriously couldn't be there for them, right? No, absolutely not. Yeah, again, I mean, this is a lot of this stuff really is common sense when you think about it, but for some reason it gets overlooked. <laughs> yeah. Um, you have to be 100% present. Your, your client, okay, and you and I have discussed this before, in this type of sexual energy work, there's a certain altered state of consciousness that takes effect when you're super aroused via your hormones. Your, your dopamine, your oxytocin levels all rise. And for all intents and purposes, at that point, you cannot make a rational decision. You cannot. Right. I, I don't care what anybody wants to say. Yeah, I'm in control of everything. No, you're being influenced in some way, shape, or form. So it is up to the practitioner to hold their clients' best interest, their everything, 100% above their own. I mean, if they're not doing that to begin with, they shouldn't be doing that work. But, I mean, this, this is a sacred thing that these, this type of work and that these clients are looking for. Your ethics in this field have to be beyond reproach. I can't think of, of really any other profession where people are this vulnerable in front of you. Where, and where right. people come to you, you know, for all intent, again, for lack of a better word at this time, people come to you damaged, and right. they are looking for some type of solace, some type of healing, some, something that they haven't been able to find anywhere else. And, you know, modern medicine, you've got a thousand different doctors to choose from, a thousand different 
um, insurance companies to choose from. You can go a thousand different directions with all of that. This is the only the only route for some people to take because they've tried everything else. Exactly. Well, that's. I know some of what we're saying is scaring people. I know that. Mm-hmm. And I think part part of my idea with this is is I want to scare them into understanding they can do this safely, but they really, really, really need to listen to what we're telling them because we've got yeah. their best interest in heart. And yeah. we know what they need to know, and we're sharing it with them. Right. So to begin with, uh, every practitioner should have their code of ethics posted somewhere, whether it be in their office, in on their website, wherever it is that you're finding them. You should be able to find their code of ethics. If they don't have something out there in public saying this is who I am, what I do, and, and my belief system around it, that's a huge red flag. Um, that should be 100% clear even before you start talking to this person. Um, That's number one. Number two, you kind of have to be your own best advocate, like you should be for anything, in any type of health care, anything that has to do with your body, mind, or soul. You have to um, do a little legwork here and, you know, look for references. You have to also go with what your gut is telling you about this whole thing as well. Right. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things to take into consideration here. And a lot of, again, because this sometimes is the last-ditch effort, sometimes you know, the, the potential client is scared to come, come to this work because of all the stigma that's involved around it. But if you can be your own best advocate, do the legwork and checking these people out, um, then you, you can you take some of that with you to, you know, to feel more secure about who you're going to see. When I have people call me about, you know, they're looking for a coach, what I do is, what I tell them is, as far as I'm concerned, our meeting the first time is for both of us to see if it's a fit. Just because I do the work and I'm trained doesn't mean we're definitely going to be a fit. You know, I, I want to make sure that what they need is something that I feel confident I can do for them, and I can give them what they need from me, you know. And in return, they need to make sure that I'm a fit for them. You know, is my style right for them? You know, it's it's not that we're necessarily going to be a fit for each other. What's kind of interesting is when it's a husband and wife that we meet, and, and I'm yeah. a fit for one and I'm the other. That's always fun. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, split it up. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, I... I personally, I offer a free initial consultation just for that reason. Um, we discuss what's going on, why they think they need this type of work. I discuss what this type of work consists of. I also, under my own code, I don't believe in taking anybody's money till I already have like a plan in place to actually help them. That's just me. But, you know, that's part of it too. But at that point, when they tell me what it is they're searching for, I make the decision whether or not I based on my training, whether I can help them. There's been many people that I've turned away and said, no, I actually think you might need to go talk to a psychiatrist first before you come talk to me. That, you know, a lot of your, there's a lot of things that can be worked out there before you come to this route. Now, this, this, this type of healing when done by a trained 
well-intentioned pra practitioner is amazing. It has amazing benefits. Um, this works on body, mind, and soul all together at once rather than you know going to an MD to work on the physical part, going to a psychologist to work on the mental part, going to somebody else with the spiritual part. This works all at the same time. So it's a tremendously helpful and healing modality. It just has to be done by the right person. One of the things, too, that we talked about that needs to be done before the hands-on body work needs to be done and something to kind of get the person maybe in the right mindset would include understanding boundaries. And anybody that listens to the show more than about twice knows I'm a huge proponent of understanding boundaries and setting boundaries for ourselves. And once you set those boundaries, sticking to them for yourself. Right. Now, because I, I figure if, if we don't stick up for our own boundaries, why should anybody else? You know, if we don't right. care enough for ourselves to, to, you know, to enforce those boundaries, you know, why is anybody else going to do it? So how does the conversation of boundaries apply in this scenario? Oh, it applies in a thousand different ways, actually. It depends on who you're going to see and what their scope of practice is. And let's also um, split this up into another category, too. There's sexual healing work and then there's sex work. Two totally different things, but sometimes get blended together and blurred. Um, if you're going to somebody and you're, a, you're going for sexual healing, this person should be touching you with, with pretty much their hands, and that's it. You know, they should not be naked. Um, I know a lot of practitioners think that's a part of it for some reason. I don't. I, I don't. It's, for me, it's about the person on the table. My nudity or lack thereof or you know, or not nudity, that has nothing to do with it. It's about the person on the table. Um, right. You can, you can all ask this person how it is, you know, this potential healer for you. Ask them how they go about their sessions. Um, you know, number one, do you keep your clothes on? Number two, how, what are you going to be touching me with? You know, um, if I have a problem during a session, can I stop the session? Um, in, in personally, in my sessions, I I reserve the right, along with the client, to stop the session at any time. If I feel my boundaries are being violated, violated or they're, they're pushing them. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in control at that point. And I'm in control through the whole session. So this falls on me, not so much the client. But it is, it is a good idea for the client to educate themselves and let their boundaries be known. Another thing, for instance, for instance is that when I give a massage, I massage front to back, head to toe. But I tell these people, I will massage every, every millimeter of flesh you have unless you tell me right now there's something you don't want touched. And if you don't, then I have no problem with that. Absolutely no problem. Again, these people are putting themselves in a very vulnerable position and they need to feel safe for the, number one, for their own mental well-being, but number two, for this work to actually work. I mean, right. if, if the client's sitting there all nervous, doesn't know what's going on, well, then chances are you're not going to have a successful session. True. Yeah. Quick question. How, how would a client cross your boundaries? My, okay, there's been a couple of clients that have reached out and tried to, like, grope me during a session. Um, I've stopped the session right there. I've, I'm said I'm sorry, but we can't do this. 
Um, this is in, not in either one of our best interests, and it's not safe. I sit there and I talk to them for a couple of minutes, ask them if they think they can get through the session without doing that, um, and give them another chance. If it doesn't work, then that's it. They're off the table and, and we don't work together anymore. I do give okay. them that one, that one chance because, like I said, you're in an altered state, so it can be easy for this person to get a little lost you know, at that moment. But if, if you can't, you know, talk to them and say to them, you know, okay, that's not appropriate, we won't do that, and have it continue in that way, then we shouldn't be working together. Right. Well, talking yeah. about it beforehand and then talking about it in the moment would, would be kind of a different situation, I would think. Right. And then I've had clients who, because um, everybody, once I'm done working with them, they, they get my home cell phone number and, 24-7 for the next two weeks, I am available to them because oftentimes energy work doesn't produce results right away. It can take two, three, four days for the stuff to work through the system. But I've had a couple of women start calling me at 2 o'clock in the morning just, you know, wanting to talk and, and, and be very social and to start flirting with me. I, no, we have a professional relationship. If you're not calling me for something in regards to that relationship or the work we're doing, then I cannot work with you. We cannot do this. Then we came up on one of the one of the conversations on online the other day. How yeah. how do we define a client? Because being involved with a client should I think should be against everybody's code of ethics. So how do we define a client? Because in in the world of social media and Facebook Live and all this kind of thing. It's, it's important if you're going to say in a code of ethics you're not involved with clients, how do we define a client? Okay. Well, the first and easiest answer is a client is somebody who's paying you. Okay. That's, that's the easy one. Um, a client is also somebody who is still taking your advice, your opinion, um, still following some type of, of treatment that with you, whether, whether there's money exchanging hands or not, at that point, they're still trusting you for their treatment. They are still a client. Um, and even after the fact, after these treatments are done, every, every school of medicine, every school of um, any type of alternative therapy, they all teach ethics. They, in, in the ethics classes, they teach about um, dating your clients because some people think that's okay. They like I went to massage school, and the school I went to, they told us a year. Um, once you had discharged being some a client from your service for a year, then you can start thinking about seeing them if there was somebody you know that you were attracted to. The idea behind that time frame is also because of transference and countertransference. Um, transference being the, the person on the table that you're working with sees you as something other than what you are, something other than a practitioner. They, they see you as a love interest or they have feelings for you in some way, shape, or form other than what's going on right there in the office. Um, actually, that, that whole scenario plays out perfectly when you it used to be the women falling in love with their obstetricians. That, right. That's a form, form of transference. Um, Countertransference is when the practitioner sees something in the client that's not part of the session, you know, that's not part of the treatment. Like maybe uh, the woman on the table reminds me of my ex-girlfriend and I'm still attracted to her. You know, that's, that's counter-transference. Um, 
but the idea behind the time limit is to make sure that none of that is in place, that what you're feeling for the person is because that's who they are, not because of the work that you've done together. Right. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah. anybody that's, quote-unquote, under your care. Yeah, and that even if they're still under your care after you've paid, you know, after the whole money exchange is done, still under your care, yes. Okay. All right. I just, like I said, I, I kept seeing that come up yesterday as far as clients, so I figured defining what a client was would be important. It's, it's kind of, you, you brought me back to that. I remember in massage school, um, when we were talking about this whole thing, there was this woman who, who was a student, she was like 45 years old, and we talked about this very thing. And she stood up. She's like, oh, no, 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 no. If I meet a man and I like him, I'm going to date him. And the teacher was like, no, you're not. You cannot do that. And um, she actually, she was adamant about it. And I, I don't remember if she got suspended or she was actually kicked out of the school. But it wasn't, it wasn't going to fly. You know, there's mm -hmm. no way you're going to pass your ethics class if that's your, your attitude. <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually in, ended up getting a bunch of massage sessions because a massage therapist had a crush on somebody and he, he bought a much, bunch of massage sessions with her and then they decided that, that she shouldn't be working on him. I'm like, oh, shucks. <laughs> so, so I, yeah, I got and, it, and this <laughs> is actually an especially dangerous um, field, body work, for that type yeah. of work to happen. Because, again, you're, you're dealing with... Um, all those feel-good chemicals that make you say, hey, I like this person. But also, sometimes, and this is in the case of a male practitioner and a female client, you are the first nurturing male that this woman has ever come across. You're giving her something that she's never gotten from any other man. You're listening to her. You're caring about her. You're not asking for anything from her. You're there 100% for her. Sometimes that's enough, just that is enough for them to start developing feelings for you because it's something they've never experienced before. Right, right. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. Okay, so I'll tell you what. In order to give direct examples to the listeners, let's go through some of your topics just to tell them exactly what we're talking about. What do you think? Okay, let's do that. that I'm happy to copy them off your website, so I've got them. I've found them. <laughs> it didn't take a whole lot of work to find them, <laughs> so this is good. Well, I put it right out there for everybody to find. I had always felt that the people doing the hands-on work were the ones that need code of ethics when I started all this, and then the more I started seeing comments and all this kind of stuff, I'm like, you know what? All of us need these, so I'm putting together my code of ethics now, and I will have them up on my website this week, so actually both my websites. So I'm I'm putting mine together now, everybody. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, hopefully by the end of the week it'll be up. Okay, so the first one. Um, oh, and while I'm thinking about that, some a couple of the neat ideas I saw um, were um, on your website in your office, and some of the people I saw too put it in their their introductory package that they hand out to clients when they come in. You know, like like your intake paperwork. They also yep. put the code of ethics in there, and then they both initial it along with the other paperwork that they have the person yep. do. So they both acknowledge it. I like that idea. Yeah, that's a great so, idea. I like that. Um, okay, so the first one, to be, to be and remain grounded during the entire session. 
I like that. You want to explain that to us? Yeah. That okay. Again, this is about the person on the on the table. It's not about the practitioner. So the practitioner shouldn't be bringing in anything from his his life, his day into the session. The practitioner needs to remain grounded and focused on the client at all times. Be 100% present for the client at all times. That's what they come to you for. If you're right. working on them and you're, you know, worried about your your kid getting out of school, you're worried about a bill you got to pay, you're worried about taxes, whatever, you're not going to be there 100% for your client. So that's that's what that is. Remaining grounded for the entire session. Exactly. Well, it's it's their time. They pay for it. They need your attention. Here again, right. common sense. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. Common sense, not as common as we like to think. So. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not. Number two, I love number two, to make and provide the client a healthy and safe environment. Yes. Now, this covers a few different things. Um, okay. So, in, back to sexual energy again, this is what it is. So, your, your client, most times, could be completely naked. So, basic health, um, uh, no, what's the word I'm looking for? Hygiene should be should be, you know, thought of. Um, they sh the client should also be made to feel safe, knowing that nothing is going to get get in the way of their session, that you're with their, them there 100% of whatever time they're paying for. They should also be guaranteed confidentiality and discretion. Um, again, I, I jokingly say I hold the, the secrets of thousands of women in my head, but it's true. Um, on the table, these, these women tell me things they've never told their best friend. Um, so, you know, that, that type of safety has to be taken into account, too, that they need to feel whatever happens in that session is safe being there. Um, the other thing is that being the rock for the client, because the client, again, in those altered states of consciousness, cannot make rational decisions for themselves. So it is up to the, the practitioner to maintain the boundaries, to maintain everything that goes along with that session for the client. Once again, right. it's common sense, but... <laughs> yeah. Okay, how about be sure the client has a firm understanding of what will happen during the session. I think that's got to be so important for that trust to be in place before the session starts. I would, I would want to. I would want to know for sure. Yeah, well, it does, and you know, and some of that goes back to what you were just talking about with having a client, you know, assign or initial the code of ethics, making sure they understand. Um, but again, if we're going, if you're having an initial consultation with somebody, you usually lay that out for them then, and then you lay it out for again when they come and see you. You know, this is what's going to take a place today. And do you have any objections to it, or is there anything that you have any questions? Is there anything you need to know beforehand? I always tell my clients, and I tell them this when I first talk to them. I tell them, I say, you're going to hear this from me at least three different times before you get on the table. I said, if you feel weird, if you feel uncomfortable, if something I'm doing makes you feel a little, little jittery, anything, tell me. Do not, just for the sake of the session, go through the session. Because sometimes people get scared and they're doing, oh, I don't want to say anything. I just want to let them do his thing. No. 
say something. The last thing I want is somebody walking out my door, closing the door, walking back to their car, saying, all right, what the hell just happened? That's not what I wanted. That's not what I was expecting. Everything needs to be agreed upon beforehand. And then, again, one more, I'm going to say this one more time, because of that altered state of conscious, consciousness, you, um, it pretty much has to stay as the way it was planned before the session. There are certain times when something will come up during a session that needs to be dealt with that wasn't you know, thought about beforehand, like uh, memories, triggers, things like that. Fine. They need to be dealt with then. But what I tell the client is, please, 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 you know, say something. And when you say something, first thing that's going to happen automatically is my hands are going to come off, off you. I'm going to ask you what's going on. We're going to talk about it right then. If it's something we can work through and move past at that moment, we will. If not, we end the session right there. No problem, no harm, no fall. This is about the client and their safety and, yeah, it, it's just that simple. <laughs> well, I like, too, that you explain to them what's going to happen and say, is, is there any part of this you're not comfortable with beforehand? And then right. I'm, I'm sure... That is, I mean, as many people as you've worked on and as, as much as you do this, I'm sure, too, that if the person were to tense up and you, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I'm guessing certain areas you, when you touch it, you're, you're going to think, okay, if, if they're going to tense up, this is where it's going to happen. If, if you sense that, you probably ask them if they're okay and, and that kind of thing just to make sure that, that they are okay in the moment. You know what I'm trying right. to say? Yeah, I mean, that goes back to being present and being there for your client. You're watching their breath. You're watching their, their, how they move. You're watching their reactions to certain things. You know, you can tell when something bothers somebody. You can tell if something is making them uncomfortable. If you've been doing it long enough, you, you can read all these things. And, again, it's your responsibility as a practitioner to make sure all this stuff is above board and everything that's happening has already been agreed upon and that right. anything that is happening is in the client's 100% best interest. Well, see, that's, that's the difference in having a practitioner who cares about the client and one that is just in it for themselves. If you truly care about the client, you want them to have the best possible experience so that when they leave, they've benefited from the work. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yes. One hundred percent. That would be the goal. <laughs> so, okay. Um, let me see. Next one: to always inform the client of any possible side effects of the session before it begins. Yes. So, okay. Now, this one is a little bit more tricky because you don't always know what will happen in a session when you start digging up traumas and past memories but you do have a good idea. Based on your experience, based on your training, you know what can come about. So you try to educate your client as best as you can. You know, this is what we're going to do, and oftentimes this is what happens. Um, you can even take that further and say, okay, so if this does happen, is it okay if we do this? You know, just to prepare the client. Um, and like I said, too, in, in energy work, you don't always see results right away. Sometimes it's after the fact. That's why aftercare is so damn important in this business as well. But a lot of times that's neglected by practitioners. I call you the next day, everything go great, good, write me a testimonial, done. I'll never talk to you again. No, 
this because of the intimacy in this work, because of the, the things that can come up. I mean, there's deep, dark places that that this type of work goes to in order to heal. Um, sometimes people are digging up traumas they don't even remember, and once they do remember them, because you brought it to the surface, they don't know what the hell to do with them. So at that mm-hmm. point, it's it, the practitioner needs to, needs to take over. Now, I'm, I'm assuming, all right, we're talking here, and I'm generalizing. I'm assuming the practitioners we're talking about do have trauma training. You know, if you don't have trauma training, you shouldn't be doing work. Well, you're going to be digging up trauma. That, that's right. Plain and simple, black and white, there is no gray area there. Right. Yeah. We, we talked about that, some of, that there are practitioners out there who who put it out there like they do have trauma training, but they don't, which I, wow. I just, yeah. I, yeah, it's scary. That part of it is yeah. scary. So you do have to check out any prospective client needs to check out their practitioner. Ask for references. You know, I um, here's something they could ask because um, when I did have a, a girlfriend at the time, I used to make her available. Um, of course, she agreed to it, but I used to make her available to my clients to sit in the room if they felt more comfortable having a female in the room with them. No problem. Right. I had somebody there to take care of that. So you know, the, the client, the potential client, could ask. You know, is it okay if I bring a friend to to right. you know? hold space for me just like you're doing. Is it okay if I have somebody with me? It would make me feel better. If you're going to a reputable, reputable above board practitioner, shouldn't have a problem with it. You know? Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, we brought that up last week too. If they've got policies that just seem unreasonable, that should be a red flag. You know, if they're not willing to work with you, that's a red flag, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely a red flag. Make sure the client understands you're able to stop the session at any time they feel uncomfortable with the work being done and don't understand what's being done. Yeah, that goes back to my thing of, you know, please do, please don't, for the sake of going through with it, just go through with it. So you make sure the client understands that, but you, the client is also putting a whole hell of a lot of faith and trust in you that, you know, if you pick up on something that they don't, that you're going to act in their best interest and you'll stop the session. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, something I've had, I've had so many guests point out recently is that women so often don't speak up because they're afraid of disappointing somebody. You know, they, they, they know they should, their gut's telling them they should, but they're like, oh, I'm going to disappoint the person. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I had <laughs> don't ever do that. <laughs> yeah. In this kind of situation, don't worry about that. You know, if if your gut's telling you you're uncomfortable or something's not right, speak up for yourself. You know, like we said before, be your own advocate. You gotta you gotta speak up for yourself. Oh yeah. And if the listener doesn't allow you to do that, go to somebody else. Get off the table. Yeah, don't worry about disappointing somebody, and and also don't worry about disappointing yourself. If it's something that you know you had to work your courage up to get through and to get to go make the appointment, and you're like, oh, I'm going to work on it this time, I'm going to work on it this time, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. If it doesn't feel right, if your gut is telling you not to do it, listen to your gut. Your gut is yeah. big brother. It's looking out for you. Yeah. 
Well, you may, you may just not be ready. That's fine if you're not. You know, if you're I, not ready. Absolutely. I mean, this work is not for everybody. Definitely not. There's, and there's definitely some people who should not be on the table getting that type of work because they haven't dealt with their st stuff enough. They haven't um, really taken the time to, to inform themselves or educate themselves as to what the session will be all about or what, you know, could come from it as far as digging up traumas and things like that. Oh, yeah, there's definitely people who, are not, who come to me and they're not ready, and I turn them away. Because it's not yeah. in their best interest. Yeah. Well, I, I know I, I would love to have some, one of these sessions because there's some things I really need to work through. But 15 years ago, I could not have done this. 10 years ago, I couldn't have done this. I know I couldn't have handled it. You know, so you, you've got to be in the right space to handle it. I'm not sure I could have seven or eight years ago. I feel I could now with a person I trusted, <laughs> you know. But right. you... you Got to be in the right space to handle it. And if you're, yeah. if you think you're, but you get there and the session starts and you realize you're not, or you realize that the practitioner is just not the right fit for you, you know, speak up Stop for yourself. Stop it right there. Stop it. Exactly. That's what you yeah. Because if you're not ready for this work, you can traumatize yourself even more. Exactly. And it's much better to wait, learn some more, work some more, and just wait until you're ready. Don't don't rush it. You're going to do more harm than good if you do. Right. And if and if the the, the therapist that you just went to talk to, or practitioner, or whatever term we want to use, um, if they are any type of a caring practitioner, they might offer you counseling first before you get on the table. Or they might refer you to somebody that can help you, and then you can work into that next phase. You know, if that person truly cares about you, they're going to offer you something that will help, even if it's just as simple as, you know, I think you should read this book first. Whatever. They, they should be offering you something. Right. Yeah. Let me see. Oh, here we go. To realize that the work being done may result in the client being in an altered mental capacity and to never take advantage of the situation. That's yeah. I expanded that one. I put bullet points around that one. I think that's probably the biggest problem with the rampant abuse that goes on. I mean, number one, you're predators, but this is how how they take advantage of the clients. They wait till you're in that semi-euphoric state to, to, again, ask you things that you cannot give a rational answer to. Um, and I know I heard your, I heard your, um, your show last week, and, and Tanya gave a perfect description of how it, it happens. You know, they'll say things like, oh, you're an advanced student. I think we can, you know, we can now move to this level. And all of a sudden, you're doing things you never planned on doing, and that's not why you came there. And you know, it's not till you walk out the door and say, "What the hell just happened?" Well, at that point, it's too late. But right. that's that is when the a lot of these practitioners do take advantage of their clients. You know, start telling them everything they know they want to hear, and yeah, they're in it for themselves, and they they take advantage of the clients. And in my mind, my mind, we're doing the most sacred work there is. Um, 
and I've stated it many times that you know it's it's an honor and a privilege to be able to work with people in this way because I know how much trust they're putting into me. I know um, through all my experience with my clients how how vulnerable they are, how damaged they are. Uh, yeah, I know all of this. This is the most sacred work there is. So, it, to me, taking advantage of that is about the most heinous thing there is. To go out and present yourself as being this, you know, forthright person who can do this type of work, which there's only really, as far as I know, and uh, this is what I've been told by one, there's only like a handful of um, reputable men doing this work on the East Coast of this country. I, I actually don't know the rest of them personally. Um, I Personally, I think the number is even lower. And I don't say that to scare people. I, I just want the women who go who go out there looking for these services to be aware that they really, really need to check in with these people. And I actually... I mean, I guarantee all my clients' discretion and confidentiality, but I have a couple clients who have told me, you know, if you ever need a reference, I'll be happy to talk about it. Ask these people, do they have references? Is there possibly somebody you could talk to? You know? Right. Yeah. Well, I, I don't go to any medical person without getting references first, and, it's been, you know, from, from somebody I know. So. Hmm. Here's the thing, too. Because this this particular modality... Um, does work on the outside of the law a bit, oftentimes that question won't get asked because people are afraid, oh, what can I ask? What should I ask? What should I say? You know, I don't want to offend this guy, whatever. No, you're your own advocate. Ask the questions. Yes. Yeah. You have to do it. Like I said, you have to stand up for yourself. Nobody else is going to do it for you, and there's plenty of people out there who will take advantage of you if you don't. It's a sad truth, but especially in this field, modality, industry, whatever you want to call it, the predators are, are out there, and you need to be vigilant and your own, best, um, your own best educator, your own best advocate, your own everything before right. you go see somebody. And that's male or female. Male yeah. or female. It, it makes no difference what the gender is of the practitioner. You need to check on them. That's it. Well, like that's that's why I'm spending a couple different weeks talking about this because I I mean I really want to draw the point home and I really want to share the information. So that's really needed. So thank you. Let me see. All right, to always act in accordance with the client's best interest. Here again, yeah. that all. But that kind of I mean I stuck it out there by itself, but it. It kind of goes along with a few other things we've covered, you know, about being present and it's 100% about the clients. Um, if To realize that, you know, they may not be able to um, ask the questions or stop the session at a certain moment, but it's up to you to keep that safety as the, as the practitioner to watch them, to stay present, to make sure that they're okay. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, the, I think the last one works in perfectly with that. Oh, it's not the last one. Okay. <laughs> the next one says, always keep the client's mental, physical, and spiritual health as guidelines during a session. Okay. okay that really means you have to be present to keep all that going and, and keep all that in mind. 
It does. It absolutely does. And again, my opinion, we're doing the most sacred work there is. So that should definitely be a requirement. But this um, actually covers a couple of other things, too. You have to take into consideration what the client was like before they walked in the door. Did they have a bad day? Is there stuff going on at home that they could be bringing into the session? You really, the practitioner wants to take all of that into account, too. Um, they also, I, I hope they would have asked a bunch of fundamental questions about the client's health, what they can handle, what they can't handle, what type of medications they're on. Again, all these things should be common sense. Um, yeah, so you have to take all of this into consideration. And you have to take into consideration, you know, how they might, their home life, too. I've had a lot of husbands over the year really mad at me because you know, <laughs> their, their wives didn't tell them, you know, until after the fact, oh, I went to go see this guy and I worked on this. Um, oh, <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, if, if, the, if your client is married, something to take into consideration is, okay, there's somebody at the other end of this wedding ring. And do they know this client's here? Um, how are they going to react to it? Is this person going to get off my table and start suddenly feeling incredibly guilty because, because of their spouse? These are all weird little things, but they're things that need to be taken into consideration. It's about the overall... The session doesn't just take place on the table. It, it takes place before, during, and after. Exactly. Yeah. I like, I like this next one. To not change the scope of the session without the client's consent at any time. Now, you know, that, that's interesting because things can happen during the session, especially if you're treating trauma and, and you trigger something unexpectedly. And, yeah. and I mean, you may have to definitely change the scope of the session. So this, this is interesting. Well, again, and that's, you know, the explanations beforehand where you educate the client. This is what could happen. And if this does happen, we could go this route. Or, you know, is it okay if I do this? The practitioner, based on what he knows of his client, based on his experience, should have some idea of what could go on in that session. So, I mean, that should already be laid out there, that these, some of these things are possibilities. Um, and again, this also goes back to this is where the clients take advantage. I mean, the practitioners take advantage and wait till they're in that altered state and say, okay, you know, now that we're here, let's move on to this. Let's move on to, you know, sticking my penis inside you because this is what I think you need. That is changing the scope of the session if that's not what you came into there for. <laughs> so, I mean, that I would think should be self-explanatory, but... Sometimes, I guess it's not. Yeah. You know, the things that aren't self-explanatory to some people just floor me, but that's a whole other topic. Right. Let me see. Reserve the right to end the session and act upon it if ever the client or my health or boundaries are about to become in jeopardy. Yep. That goes back to the clients touching me when they're not supposed to. Um, if the client isn't comfortable with my touch, they feel like they're being threatened in some way, they should be able to say, sit right up off the table, say, no, I'm not doing this, and, and that should be fine. Um, right. You, yeah. It, <laughs> I, again, I, I think it's funny that I have to go over them. But every time I do, 
and it's like, yep, I can understand where somebody can take advantage of this. Yep, I can understand where somebody take advantage of this. So it is important to go over them and expand on them as well. Well, and, and the next one is definitely self-explanatory. I would think um, to always, to the best of my ability, provide the client with the services for which they are paying. You know, I think that's obvious. I, it is. It is completely obvious. But, again, these things get violated. Um, okay, this is not something that's going to be covered by insurance. So clients are going to be paying, don't put it on their credit card, paying cash, doing whatever. They are generally paying you a lot of money. These yes. sessions aren't cheap. And they expect and deserve what they pay for. It, right. It's really that simple. Um, but, you know, and, and it happens in, in other professions. Um, you know, you, you go see somebody for 45 minutes, they charge you for an hour, or, you know, they're not feeling their best that day, so they don't put 100% effort into their sessions. Um, in this industry, that is bullshit. You are, again, working with people incredibly vulnerable, trusting you with everything. They deserve every freaking penny's worth. I don't care what your day is like. I don't care if you get a cold. If you get a cold and you don't think you can make it to a whole session, cancel the session. You know, whatever it takes. You need to be there 100% of the time for your client. That's what they're paying for. Yeah, I, I used to get into that with our massage therapist sometimes when she's like, I don't feel good. I said, well, then you need to reschedule or you need to get it together one of the time. So, yep. yeah. You're, you're not going to be body work and, and be half-assed about it. It's not going to happen. So she just looked at me funny. Did you hear me? <laughs> you know, so you're not working with my clients. Uh-uh. Right. right. No. Let me see. Provide the client with sufficient aftercare. And I like your, your note in parentheses. The aftercare of the client can be just as important as the session itself. Often the full effects of the session cannot be felt till days later. And especially, I, I would think, with trauma work, that's, that's very true. Is that also true with other, other, is that also true with other work that you do, too? Oh, yeah. Well, any type of energy work doesn't come out right away. Sometimes it can. You know, you've had a Reiki session, right? I have. I loved it. Okay. Sometimes you feel the effects of that right away, right where you're on the table. You know, sometimes it's not till. Like later the next day, you feel lighter or like you released something or something like that. Well, especially in sexual energy work, if, if you're doing work that involves um, stimulating for release of an energetic block, okay, mm -hmm. sometimes that comes out right away. Um, other times it can, take day, it can take up to two weeks for this stuff to come out. I tell my clients, if you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and you start bawling your eyes out, you don't know why, you're going to pick up the phone and you're going to call me. I don't care it's 2 o'clock in the morning. 99.9% .9 of the time, it's due to the work we did. You know, anything that happens emotionally, shit, even physically, even physically, if things start going on out of the ordinary um, a week after the session, it could go back to the session. So that is still falls on the responsibility of the practitioner. Aftercare, yeah, like I stated, can be even more important than the actual session itself because you're right there with them in session, but then they leave, and they don't have you anymore. They need to know right. that they can 
get a hold of you, that you will be there for them. That that is already paid for. It's not an extra. It comes with the, the package. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, otherwise, if, if this kind of stuff starts happening, they have no idea what's going on with them. So. Exactly, and that's it. I'm like, I don't care what it is. If it's something out of the ordinary, call me, because chances are it might have something to do with the session. If it doesn't, I mean, you explain to me what's going on, and I'll tell you if it, if it came from the session or if it's something else, and I'll try to help you with that. If it's something I can help. If not, then, then you know, I might might refer you out to somebody else if it's something psychological or something else that they can help you with it. But either way, you need to be there for the client to figure that out. Right, right. Yeah. Well, it sounds good to me. I need you to explain it to a doctor to a mine. Let me see. We've only got a couple of minutes left, but how about to always try to teach and educate the client about their bodies in the process that brought them to a session. Okay. Well, because if, I mean, this is like going to see anybody for anything. If you're going to fix something, you want to make sure it's fixed and it's not going to come back. So you want to educate them about how they got to be wherever they are, um, educate them about what you're doing, and then educate them about what you know is going to happen. Sometimes I have clients who will, will just go for the sex work end of it, and they're coming to me because they, they've never experienced a vaginal orgasm or they've never experienced um, ejaculation or something like this. I educate them about their bodies so they understand the processes of what is going on with them. And then there can be a certain point where they can actually, they don't need me anymore, that they can take care of themselves to some extent or whatever example we want to use. But yeah, education is key in all of it. A lot of times people ha really don't have any idea how their bodies actually work. Um, sad to say, but it, it's true. We don't get a whole lot of um, education in school as far as how our sexual anatomy works. Um, we, they talk about diseases we can get, teach you how to put on a condom, teach you about reproduction, but they don't teach you about pleasure. They don't teach you about sensitivity or stimulation or anything like that. You know, that's something you got to go, if, if you want to know as an adult, you got to go find that education yourself. So yeah. that's part of the job as well. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, I think, I think we have covered, a, given, given listeners a whole lot of information to think about. And since we did, I tell you what, I am also going to post part of your code of ethics along with the website link for people if they want to take a look at the full content. And I'm also going to post the archive of the show. Um, I'll also include the link to last week's show. And it's going to be on my website at www.readyforloveradio.com slash code of ethics. So, Paul, thanks a lot for being here and going over this with me. Like I said, you, you were the person I thought of immediately. I said, Paul's got to do this with me. He's the one. Well, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. I hope everybody got lots of good information. Feel free to share the link to the show with friends that you think can benefit from it, as always. And listeners, I'll be with you next time on Ready for Love Radio.